0: From Washington to local school boards, everyone realizes that the American family is in crisis. The important thing, however, is not to simply stand and scream about the problem. We need to get down to business and do something about it, and this begins under our own roofs. What do our children need to know about how to live a wise, godly life before we send them out to college, the university, or a career? Turn to Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 as our study leader Dave Wordson begins our lesson Worth the Investment Now it's not so much that he likes rice checks or corn checks so much it's just that some brilliant promoter in the offices of Ralston and General Mills and the other cereal companies realized that if you put a great big box of cereal in front of a five-year-old and you sit in the bottom of this box, there's a treasure. There is a priceless treasure. There is a, Now, they really came out with a good one. The last one we got out is is two pens. Any, any of you parents seen those two pens? One of them writes in invisible ink, and then you go over it with the other pen, and it all appears. Some of you adults are shaking your head on that. You ate six bowls of cereals to find that pen, right? Well, you know, every once in a while, they come out with a pretty good one. Mom and dad keep supporting the big grain industries, and that's what keeps the whole agricultural thing going in the United States. But, you know, sometimes with a cereal treasure, what you get at the bottom of the box really doesn't last so long. One of my biggest frustrations is that usually it's not as good a prize as the invisible ink trick. Usually it's some toy that's made out of the cheapest plastic you can imagine. They play with it for about five minutes and then it's broken and then there are tears and then we have to start eating cereal again to try to get the next treasure. You see, in life, sometimes in life we can go digging through a box and thinking we're going to get a treasure and we go after it, we pursue it, but it turns out to really not be worth that much. I want you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Because in Proverbs chapter 2, we find out the treasure that we will receive if we'll go after wisdom. In other words, wisdom makes some promises in this chapter. In chapter 1, we found out that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of learning about reality. We learned at the end of chapter 1 that if we reject the appeal of wisdom... We learned that wisdom is out there in the marketplace. Wisdom is trying to reach people. Wisdom is trying to reach you. Wisdom is trying to talk to you this morning. Wisdom wants you to take her into your life. At the end of chapter 1, we learned that wisdom will have the last to laugh. Now what did that mean? It meant that there can come a time in life when we have made all the wrong choices, we have sowed all the wrong seeds, And it will become very evident how futile it was to reject the life of wisdom. You see, wisdom might be mocked. Wisdom might be scorned. Wisdom might be ignored. But the reality of the results of living a foolish life cannot be ignored. And that's what the end of chapter 1 was telling us. It was telling us that wisdom has the last word. Because wisdom represents the plan and the blueprint of God. And none of us can ignore the way God has designed things. Just to reemphasize that point in your life, all of you can go up on the tower in Dallas, that big ball, and if you can climb up over the fence that they have there, you can jump off. And as you're flying through the air, you can say, man, this is the greatest, most exhilarating, most exciting experience I've ever had. What a marvelous choice. Why didn't somebody tell me it was so fantastic? to fly through the air in downtown Dallas. Now you can make that choice. You can make a choice to jump off that tower. Wisdom says you can make those kind of choices in morality, in ethics. What you can't control is the the splat on the pavement. You see, once you jump, once you choose to live a foolish life, once you start sailing through the air, What Proverbs teaches is that it might be a very exhilarating, it might be a very exciting experience, but it will be a splat at the end because wisdom always has the last word. But in Proverbs 2, wisdom turns to a much more positive idea, and that is it turns away from the moral splat, the moral devastation, the moral judgment that comes upon those to reject her. And in chapter 2, wisdom talks about the treasures the benefits that are going to come to the individual who will listen to wisdom. Now, in verses 1 through 4, she begins with some ifs, some conditions. You might say to me, Dave, well, how if, I, if wisdom is so valuable, is wisdom so important, how can I have her? How can I get her into my life? And wisdom presents these words that we must do in order to appropriate wisdom in our life. Let's read it together. He begins in chapter 2, verse 1, my son, my children. For the most part, the book of Proverbs is addressed to godly people. People that are raised in godly families or people that have come to know God. People that are desiring to come into the school of wisdom. It talks about my children. And the wisdom teacher is addressing every one of you like a child. He says, my children, if you... And now we have the first condition. If you receive... If you accept my words, then we have the second condition and store up my commands within you. Verse two, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. If you will call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as you would look for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure then we have what will result. Now let's look at the conditions. First of all, you need to have a receptive spirit. If you will accept my words. Verse 2 puts it this way. Turning your ear to wisdom. Or really just having an open ear to the words of wisdom. If any of you are going to take in what the book of Proverbs is talking about, the very first thing you must have is a receptive ear. You need to have ears that hear. The Lord Jesus Christ himself used a favorite expression. Let him who has ears to hear finish it for me. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. we talked about this in the past. Mom and dad go out in the backyard. They say, Johnny, come home for supper. And Johnny keeps playing, right? Ten minutes later, mom goes out again. Johnny, come home for supper. Johnny keeps playing. Suddenly, mom goes out, hey, Johnny, get in here right this minute. And Johnny says, well, I guess I better go in. It was on the final time that he had a receptive ear. It's not too important to belabor the point because people that don't have a receptive ear don't make it out of bed today. Most of you have receptive ears. What I want to really stress this to you, see, as I'm teaching from the smallest child to the oldest adult. Now, I can shout at you, I can try to use illustrations, but whether or not you receive wisdom depends on the receptivity of your ear. I want to give you a hint even about schoolwork. One of the most precious things that anybody ever told me, a dear teacher of mine in high school, one of my coaches, told me this in about ninth grade. He said, Dave, it only makes sense when you're in a classroom to listen. It only makes sense when you're in a classroom to listen to what the professor says because there's a good chance when test time comes around that they'll probably ask you some questions about things that they said. Now, that all sounds simple, but the truth of the matter is most students start out very early in grammar school, very early in church, very early with mom and dad, learning how to go off. And we don't listen. In fact, listening is one of the hardest disciplines for us to have. As we sit here, as you sit there today, you have a much harder job than I do. You see, my my mind has to be in gear relatively. As I'm talking to you, for the most part, I usually know what I'm trying to say. So I have an easy task. You see, I know where I'm going and I know what I want to communicate to you. And I have to work hard because my mouth is in gear. It's much harder to have your ear in gear. And there's a tremendous need. In America today, the listening skill is going by the wayside. In order to really get information across to people, we live in the information day. We live in the communication era. We've got all kinds of sophisticated equipment, but we're turning off the switch on our, on our ear. You see, when you come to church to hear God's Word, when you open your Bible to read God's Word in the morning or at night, whenever you might have your own personal time, that's when, more than any other time, you need to turn on your ear. You need to have a receptive ear. And that's a very hard discipline. Wisdom begins, if wisdom is going to enter into your life, it begins by having your ears turned on. And I would challenge you, that professor told me, listen when people are trying to get across information to you, even if you don't understand it, even if it's not coming through. Some of you might say, well, Dave, when I study the Bible or when you teach me, it's all just new virgin territory. It's so hard for me to understand. Listen, keep listening. You understand a lot more than you think you do. When I was studying chemistry in college, it was all Greek to me. I was studying general chemistry and then organic. And I can remember studying at night and trying to listen what Morrison and Boyd, this famous organic textbook, was trying to teach me about chemistry. Some of you that had that were shaking your head. You remember Morrison and Boyd. And I can remember studying for three hours at a time and scratching my head and saying, I don't understand anything that I'm learning. So I asked a friend of mine about it who was a senior chemistry major. He said, David, don't worry so much. Don't worry so much as you're listening, as you're reading, as you're trying to hear the text about whether or not you're understanding it. Keep listening. Keep listening. Because you'll find out that you understood much more than you even imagined. All of learning is like that. Now, whether or not you learn organic chemistry or not, for most of you, it won't be that important. But whether or not you hear what we're trying to learn from the book of Proverbs is for your own health, for your own moral health, for your own vitality. And it begins, number one, with a receptive ear. Let him who has ears to hear accept my words. Tune in your ears to hear the voice of wisdom. Now, sometimes we listen. We have our ears turned on. The next part is that you need to not only have a receptive ear, but you need to have a retentive mind. This next part talks about storing up, storing up the words of wisdom. It says, store up my commands within you. Now, what's it talking about there? A dirty word known as memorization. Now, that's another thing that's going passe in our culture. In fact, I'm probably one of the first ones that will say it. Who needs to remember anything in our culture? You just hit a button on a computer and the computer will spit it all out for you. What you really need to know is just how to hit the right button at the right time to get the right information spit out at you. Memorization really can be important. In the ancient world, when Proverbs was written, memorization was really important. In other words, some of you in Awana, some of the kids that are learning verses in Awana, If you think your Awana leaders are challenging, you should have been an Israelite kid living back in the days of Solomon, because you probably would have memorized the book of Proverbs verbatim, the whole book, every single word, 31 chapters, have it down cold. In fact, if we're studying the book of Proverbs, the organization of it is really not geared so much for us to read it. In other words, especially when you get to chapter 10 and following, you can be scratching your head saying, why in the world do they organize it like this? But when you read it in Hebrew, what you find out is that there's all kinds of memorization devices. There's all kinds of catchwords. For example, one of the memorization devices that's used in Proverbs 31 is that every single verse of Proverbs 31 in that, in that poem to the ideal noble woman begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so a Hebrew child learning Proverbs 31 could remember that every single verse began with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it would be a memorization device for them to remember the verse. In ancient Israel, they put a big stress upon a retentive mind. That's why I love Awana so much. It's why I believe that the Holy Spirit has used it to have such an impact. Memorization is so important. But I want to stress this when I talk about a retentive mind. Memorization should never stop with just rote memory. And when I want to speak to you moms and dads for a minute. In our church family, the kids learn a lot of verses in Awana, in Sunday school, at daycare. We have a lot of memorization in our church. But you know, just memorizing verses is not going to produce a skillful life. You see, there does need to be that receptive ear. There does need to be that retentive mind. But it's very important that these truths be internalized deep in our personalities. It needs to become the way that we feel about things, the way we decide about things. And I want to challenge you moms and dads, don't ever let your kids learn a verse without explaining to them what it means. If you don't understand what it means, look it up in another translation. Call us on the telephone. Don't let your kids learn by rote. Be very careful about just going through the mechanics. It's dangerous to just learn verses mechanically. When I was a kid coming up through the Christian education, I just happened to have one of those minds. I could just sit down like in about 10 minutes and learn a whole psalm. And I would do that for points. I can remember just getting thousands and thousands of points from my team at camp because I could do that. You could ask me a day after I learned those verses, Dave, what was that Psalm? Pfft, it was gone. It was all quick-term memory, just looking at things, you know, taking kind of a mental picture of it. I don't have a photographic mind, but for a short term, I could take kind of a picture of it and go over it a few times, put it together. I had some gimmicks that I used to remember, and I'd remount the whole Psalm, get the points, and then move on to another Psalm. That kind of memorization can be prideful. It can be deadly. It's said that Lenin had the Gospel of Matthew memorized. A lot of the techniques for the communist development of small group emphases and and using a small group of committed, dedicated people came out of Matthew's Gospel. Here was someone that had the whole Gospel memorized but didn't know the Lord of that Gospel, didn't know the Savior that it presented. And I want all of you to join with me this, this morning and pray. That as a church family, we won't be guilty of having our kids memorize Scripture, of we ourselves memorizing Scripture, without really taking it into our heart. And that's this principle of internalization. It needs to be the commitment, the dedication of our heart. And that's why the writer says here, "...and apply to your heart understanding." Not only accept my words, have receptive ears, not only have retentive minds storing up my commandments, but applying your heart, applying your personality to these truths. Verse 3. Now some of you at this point say, well Dave, I really want to have a receptive ear. I want to memorize, but my mind is like a sieve sometimes. I really want to internalize these things. But I feel like I can't do it. Sometimes I just feel like Like when I go to read the Bible, it's just dead and and nothing's really happening. What can I do about that? Some of you get up in the morning and you say, I really want to have a quiet time. How many of you in your Christian life have ever said, I really, really want to have a personal time every day in the Word of God? Anybody ever make that for a New Year's resolution? How many of you know that it's really good for you every day to read a little bit of the Word of God? Everyone does. But it's so hard to do that. How many of you have ever had it? You start reading the Bible and it's like just cold as ice. It just seems like nothing really is happening. A few of you that have that problem. You know, I have that problem. You know, there's sometimes when I open the Word of God and listen, I've got it. I mean, if I don't open the Word of God, I don't get paid. Now, that's a really strong motivation to open the Word of God. not a good one, but it, but it is a strong one. In other words, I've got to get up here every Sunday, Wednesday night, Tuesday, and several other times during the week. If I don't open the Word of God, I don't have anything to say. And you'll find out quick. And if the elders and deacons find out I don't open the Word of God, I've had it. But you know, there's times where I open the Word of God and it just, it just doesn't seem. My heart is cold, just like your heart is cold. Now, there's some preachers that will tell you they every time they're always thrilled, always really excited they're always really in tune with the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not always that way. What do I do about it? Well, I close up the book because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, you shouldn't read the Word of God. If, you don't, if your heart isn't warm, if you're not gurgling for Jesus, close the book. And wait to a more opportune time. Because after all, it's much better to follow your feelings and follow the genuineness of your emotions than to do something that's hypocritical. Now, that's what a lot of you do in your lives. And that's what I'm tempted to do in my life. But you know what I do? I do what this next verse says. It says, if you will call out, verse 3, if you will call out for the ability to make wise decisions, that's what insight means. If you will cry aloud for understanding. If you'll ask God, in other words, there's a verse in James says that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. When I'm having trouble understanding, when I'm having trouble being motivated, what I do is I talk to the Lord about it. I'll admit to Him the hardness of my heart. I'll admit to Him that I'm having trouble understanding. I'll ask Him questions. And I'll say, Lord, even though my feelings might not be there, I know that You are there. I know that you are objectively there, and I know that you can meet my need, and I know that if I ask you, you will give me the ability to learn from your holy word so that I might live skillfully. In other words, instead of drawing away from God, instead of feeling guilty about those problems of understanding, those negative feelings... And instead of pulling into my own world where Satan can have a heyday, I go honest. I get honest with the Lord about those feelings. And I admit to Him, Lord, in my old nature, I am callous towards You. In my old nature, I don't have spiritual understanding. But by a gift of Your grace, You've created another day of works in And even though right now, he might seem so very far away, there is someone inside of me that you created that's your child that loves you and that wants to learn and I call out to you for understanding. Brothers and sisters, we need some believers that fervently want to know. You know, I think one of the real plagues of being an American believer is that we are in the day of communication and everybody is hearing. You can flip on the radio, you hear Chuck Swindoll. Wait a little bit longer, you hear John MacArthur. Wait a little bit longer, you hear James Dobson. Wait a little bit longer, you can hear W.A. Criswell. You can turn on and hear one church service after another. We're just sprayed with the truth. But sometimes it can dull our receptivity and our desire to really want to have skillful living. You know, I really became aware of that when I was over in Poland. Because when I arrived there in Poland, I figured there was going to be this terrible language barrier. And how in the world was I ever going to be able to teach the book of Proverbs to Polish believers? There's so much cultural difficulty. And I'd never been there before. So I started into the first session with fear and trembling. And these kids are sitting there with their Bibles in Polish. And they're, and they're sitting on the edge of their seat. And it's hard to listen to, through a translator. Because your mind goes about seven or eight times quicker than even I talk. And now it's it's 14 times faster because you hear it in English and then you hear it in Polish and then you have to run it through and everything's really slow. So it's very hard in some ways to keep people's attention with a translator. But these kids are sitting there and I'm wondering, is it really coming through? Well, about three, about two o'clock in the morning with all these kids gathered together around a table. And this kid, I'll never forget this one fellow, as a college student, he kept looking at me, he says, now listen, I know you just flew all night, and I know your time's all mixed up, but we don't get this opportunity all the time, we're not going to have you here very long, can I ask you one more question? And then he would ask me another question from the word of God, and this is all with the translator sitting around this table there in the dining hall, and these kids about 2.30 in the morning say, we want to know more. They were diligently asking. They fervently wanted to know the truth. And as I went back up to my room that night, I said, Lord, I had the opportunity to go to Dallas and I had the opportunity to study. I have all the tools. Do I have that kind of a desire to really want to know the Word of God? You know, I think one of the most moving times of my life was I remember my senior year in high school, I shared this with a man. I shared with a men we were studying the book of Daniel. You know, Daniel was a man who had receptive ears, a retentive mind. He internalized it in his life and he fervently prayed. This guy was so consistent in his prayer life that in Daniel 6, when, even he, when he knew that if he prayed, he would be cast to the lions, he still prayed. And, and in those days, the way that an Israelite would pray is they would get down on their knees and they'd put their face down on the ground. In other words, they pray like that. That's what you would do before a Pharaoh. And that's what an Israelite that was committed to God, to Yahweh as their king, would do before their God. And Daniel would fervently pray, diligently seek. The junior high have started studying the life of Daniel in their Sunday school class, Daniel was just 13 or 14, a junior high kid, when he was taken into captivity. And yet he diligently asked God, for wisdom, for skill. And he became in the Old Testament along with Joseph the epitome of a wise man. You know, I remember the Lord really gripped my heart about that when I was in high school my senior year. I'll never forget in my room all by myself, but I think it's real important to do some of those things when nobody else is looking. I just got down on my knees like that. And I said, Lord, I'm a senior in high school. I want you to give me wisdom. I want you to give me skill in the way that I live my life. I want you to cause me to be able to discern what is right from what is wrong. I want you to help me to have the power to live a moral life. I want you to give me the fervency and the desire to want to live a life that pleases you. You know, I'm really thankful that I made that prayer. My family can be thankful that I made that prayer. The Lord did guide me in my life. I didn't get involved in immorality. I didn't make some lousy choices. I did not marry the wrong person who led me away from God. The Lord marvelously provided. The Lord brought me to Midlothian. I didn't end up in the wrong profession. I did find what I was really gifted at in the body of Christ. And that's what I covet for every single one of you. And you can have it. You can find that skillful plan. Even if you've blown it, you can have forgiveness. But I want to share something with you. God is a person and he responds to desire, not con. I'm not talking about the person who gets in trouble. Often as a pastor, I work with people in trouble. And when they're in trouble, they cry out. And over all the cry, the Lord writes, baloney, baloney, con. I don't buy it. It's not what's really going on in your heart. As soon as you get out of the trouble, you'll run right back into your own foolish behavior. God doesn't put up with that. But God always hears you as a person from the depths of your personality saying, God, I'll deal with you with integrity. I really want to know the truth. Lord, I want you to give me a receptive ear. I want you to give this fly trap up here. I want you to make this a fly trap that'll catch things. Instead of a sieve that everything flows through, I want to have a retentive mind. I want to have a requesting mouth. I want to have a desire to know the life of wisdom. I want to diligently pray and diligently seek. You want to know God? We're going to go on from here. We're going to talk about how you can know God. These are the conditions for getting to know God. If I were to ask you, do you want to really know God? When you go to be with Him, do you want to go to meet somebody that you know well? These are the conditions that it takes in order to fall into a very deep, deep, intimate relationship with God. Number one, you need to have a receptive ear. You need to receive. You need to have your ears turned on. Number two, you need to have your mind turned on. You need to remember. You need to have a retentive mind. Number three, it needs to not just be an external thing. It needs to be something that you take deep in your heart. And when you're perplexed and you're confused and you, you, you feel kind of dead, and always, even when you're high, you need to diligently Pray. Fervently pray because God's a person and He responds to your earnest desire. You need to seek it. We'll close in verse 4 with, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Some of you guys out there in the business world, some of you girls know what it's like to go after the bucks. If I were to ask you, who are the most motivated people that you know? Who are the most motivated people that you know? And a lot of you would say salesmen, and I think that's true. I've had some friends, a lot of friends, that are salesmen, and I've seen salesmen. They get up at four o'clock in the morning. They'll hit the trail, and man, they'll knock on doors. They'll be on that telephone. Man, they're after the treasure, they're after the buck. Have you ever met someone that thought there was a pirate's treasure down in the Caribbean? There's one fellow down in the Caribbean who thought he could find a treasure, and he lost his son in death. His son drowned in the pursuit. He lost almost all of his livelihood and he kept on going for it. And finally he found it. But what a cost. What the book of Proverbs is saying is I think every one of you can understand. I think every man, I think every woman can understand the pursuit of money. When I was selling books in my junior and senior years of college, I would start knocking on doors. You housewives loved me. But I would start knocking on doors at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I would have about 45 people a day say, I hate your guts, get off this front lawn, I'm coming after you with a shotgun, I don't like you, who sent you over here? Bang, 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 bang. You know, you really feel like a real super guy after 40 people tell you you're a real bum. But you know, I did that every single day. I did it 80 hours a week. You know why? Because I knew that when I went through all of that manure, that I'd come to Al Bachum, and Al Bachum would have six grandchildren, or as many as he has—I don't know. That's not the exact count, but—and I could make two or three hundred dollars in a day. And man, I was motivated. Man, I remember one day I was cruising, I made about five hundred bucks that day. And Mary, I came running and said, "Mary, give me some more books, man! I was really rearing to go." Man, I put a whole bunch more books in my car and I took off till eleven o'clock. And some of you laugh about that, but have you ever been in a sales convention? You don't know what it's like if you haven't been. I've seen I've seen auditoriums of a thousand college guys and girls. If you would have said, "Tear the church down," they would have done it brick by brick, board by board. You know why they were motivated to make money? You know what this text is saying? It takes desire to win to be the final four. I haven't seen a basketball team yet in the final four. that went out there, well, I you don't know if I go today or not, if I show up or not. You don't play for Bobby Knight if you walk out in the court and say, ah, oh, you know, basketball. It's gotta be your heart and your soul. If you're a salesman, it's gotta be your heart and your soul. You know what the book of Proverbs is saying? You wanna become wise? You wanna live skillfully? You need to have desire. You need to want it. I want to challenge every one of you. You get down on your knees and say, God, I really want to have you. I want to know you. Remember Jacob wrestling with God? In the early morning, he's grabbing hold of God. God could have just, anybody that can just touch a guy's leg and he never walks right again, certainly is not hard up. Why do we go through that whole passage? Jacob, clinging to God, he says, God, bless me. I'm not going to let go until you do it. i got to have you. I know I've been a heel. I know I've been a creep most of my life. But I want you, and you're not getting away till I have you. Why do we have that passage in the Old Testament? Because I want to tell you something about God. He honors desire. And whether that person has failed much of their life, boy, if there's one time in their life where they grab hold of him, And down on their knees, they say, God, I want you. I want to know you. I might not have anything else, but you are the one treasure. You're the pearl of great price. I'm going to sell everything I have. If only I can have you. Wisdom promises that individual with that kind of desire will have wisdom enter deep into their heart. And if you have wisdom, you have everything.